You're listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Amen. I, I bet most of us have probably had, uh, you know, like a, a, one of those tilt-a-whirl kind of weeks. That, that old carnival ride where you, you start going in circles all the while you're going up and down at various speeds until you feel like you can't have any more of it. Your week has been filled with highs, lows, moments that you thought that you could see straight and others like it was never going to end. Like it was moving too fast. So I, I don't know exactly where you are this morning, but if you're like most of us, when you get to Sunday, you just feel absolutely spent. It's just been a long week. It's been a tiring week. Thankfully, we serve a God who is the creator. And, and that means that our creator God is over all things, and yet at the same time that he is intimately familiar with each and every one of us. And our creator God has revealed himself to us in his word, the Bible, so that we could learn about our human condition, but even more than that, so that we could know him, so that in knowing him, we could love him and worship him. As we look at Psalm 16 this morning, I want to pray that God, through his word and by his spirit, might just do a reorienting work in our hearts this morning. That he would take the week that we've had and all the things that we've been looking at and pressing forward to and sometimes thinking I wish would have never happened and just do a work in our hearts that we might be reoriented towards God and his work in our lives this morning. That we've gotten off the ride of this last week and it's time that we, by his spirit, would just get our bearings straight so that this next ride... While there is no promise that it won't be just as wild and crazy, it may be even more so, but that it might be taken in just a little bit differently. And as we journey together through this psalm, I want us to see one particular truth. In the presence of God, there is joy today and forevermore. In the presence of God, there is joy today and forevermore. Would you pray with me? Father, Thank you so much that you have joined us together as your family so that we could gather and we could worship you, the living creator God, together as your people on this Sunday. Thank you for the work that you have been doing in each and every one of our lives, that you've been inviting us into greater fellowship with you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God, I pray as we look to your word now that we might know more of you, and that your spirit uh, might illuminate our hearts as we read this text, as we hear it, and that you might do a work in our hearts that we could receive it and apply it. So, God, that we could ultimately find a tremendous joy in you today and forevermore. God, I, I pray that you would help us to understand your presence in a greater way. God, we thank you for uh, the, the way that you've been moving in and among us. We thank you for continued, continued improvement in our brother Scott. 
God, we, we thank you for the miracle that you have done in his life and that you're continuing him on the journey towards greater health. We thank you that he's experienced yet another Father's Day with his children and wife at home. God, I pray that you would continue to give him strength and courage in the days to come, and that ultimately that you would produce a greater steadfastness in his heart as a result of this sickness. Father, we think of our brother Jesse and our soon-to-be sister as she moves down here and is united with Jesse Isabel this week. Father, that you would bless their union. God, I pray, I pray that we as a church would rally among them as, as we have just uh, sought to do with these young families. God, would you bless Jesse and Isabel. We thank you for providing housing for them. And God, we pray that their marriage would be a tremendous apologetic to a world that is in great need of knowing good news. Father, I, I pray... Um, I pray for those parents that were just standing here, a, a continued prayer that they might be faithful to the tasks that you've put before them. And even when they aren't, Father, I pray that they would grab hold of the grace that you've given them and shown them in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray for uh, those that are serving your kingdom and church across the world. We, we think of the Sawyers this morning, the work that you're doing in and among them. And we pray specifically for Laura this morning. God, that you would continue to heal her from whatever sickness has, has ravaged her body. We thank you for the improvement that she's already experienced from yesterday. We pray that you would continue to give them grace and wisdom in the days to come. I thank you that um, the Baileys and, and Abby have uh, gone many miles overseas so that they could serve with and alongside of them. I thank you that Mike is there so that he could fill in the pulpit and bring your word to the people there this morning. God, we, we think of our brothers and sisters in, in Locust Grove right now. And as Pastor Jeff opens up your scriptures in Psalm 1 and proclaims, God, I, I pray that your church would be built up there and here as well, uh, that we might humbly submit to your word as your people who love you and desire to, to enjoy you more today. Thank you for this time. We love you. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Uh, this psalm that we're looking at, Psalm 16, is one that King David wrote, and it's often referred to as a mictum. You may see that right there at the beginning of the text in the heading. And, and that word mictum is closely associated to another word that means to cover. And so many people think that what David is essentially doing in writing this very prayer is that he is covering his lips that what we're about to read right now is essentially a quiet, silent prayer. And you'll see in just a moment that, that David doesn't know where he's going to turn. He doesn't know exactly what's happening to him, but he knows that he can find refuge in the Lord. And those quiet prayers are those ones that reorient us to who we are in light of God. May we, along with David, be able to quietly pray from the depths of our souls this morning. In the presence of God, there is joy today and forevermore. And if you're able, would you just stand with me as we honor God's word as it's read? Again, Psalm 16, if you have a Bible. It says this, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. 
As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, the first half of this prayer shows us what is to be our life today in the joy-giving God. What is my life as a Christian supposed to look like today? How can I operate? How am I supposed to go about every day in this tilt-a-whirl world? And David shows us this by pointing out three particular characteristics of God. First, I want us to see there in the text that God is our refuge. David writes in verse 1, look there in the text with me again, if you will. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. We don't, we don't know exactly, again, what's going on with David in this moment. Perhaps it's physical pain. It's certainly a suffering of some kind. But he's asking God to preserve him. He's recognizing his absolute and utter need for refuge. Now, the Lord's providence is incredible, isn't it? For those of us in Christ, we can, we can celebrate his providence, albeit bitter at times, joyous at others. I think this morning as Luke and Haley were standing here this morning with their new son, that it wasn't too long ago that we were standing outside waiting for their wedding ceremony to begin. And some of you were there that evening because as the ceremony was about to get going, I should have asked y'all to share this story, but I didn't. As the ceremony was about to get going, all of a sudden the heavens began to rain down with literal rain. And it was crazy because the ceremony was set up under this beautiful oak tree. As the rain began to fall, so did the thunder and lightning. And so if you know anything about you know, thunder and lightning and trees, it's not, a, it's not a great combination. And so everybody that's under this great big oak tree looks around. They're in the middle of this field, and there's only one other structure to run to. It's a metal tent. <laughs> tree, metal tent. We're going to go to the metal tent. I don't, I don't know why we chose that, but we did. And so everybody's just scrunched under this metal tent, just hoping to wait it out, just hoping that something would change. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to know that that tent in that very moment provided a much needed relief from the rain. But it wasn't safe for us as the storms continued. What we needed more than that was refuge in that house way up the hill. That's where we needed to get to. As I was meditating on this verse, the thought occurred to me that we so often 
as Christians trade momentary relief from the refuge that God provides for us, don't we? Like we run to these temporary shelters hoping that we will have ultimate satisfaction and every time we get there we realize this isn't actually what we need. What we need is God. We need to run it to him as our refuge. We can quote elsewhere in Psalm 46 verse 1 that God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in times of trouble. Anybody know that verse? Yeah, amen. And yet... We can quote it, and then we can run to those things that we can control for relief, don't we? We can quote Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. And yet, we can live like the next verse. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, and like a high wall in his imagination, Whereas though we know that God is our ultimate refuge, we run to our money for relief. Wealth and riches might be helpful for when your car breaks down so that you have enough money for that car repair. But what about when your child is sick? What happens when you're falsely accused? Do do money and wealth satisfy then? Where will you go then? Here's a question for you parents. Where are you teaching your children that they can find refuge? Proverbs 14, verse 26 speaks of this in a positive way. Hear this. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. On this Father's Day, dads, I want you to hear this. One of the greatest things for your children to see you do is to take refuge in the Lord. Why? Because if you're confident in the Lord, your children will learn to trust in their father as well. But if you're training your children just to find relief in those temporary shelters and structures that you often to that you often run to as well, where will they go? They'll go to food when they're stressed because that's what you do. They'll go to sports when they need affirmation, all the knowledge about the game and the games because that's what their dad does. They run to their electronic devices when they're in need of a bit of dopamine and a bit of happiness because that's what dad does. They run to isolation when they're tired because that's what dad does. They go to work when they want to hide from others or when they want to find achievement outside because that's what dad does. For many of us, though, and I'm just preaching to the choir, you know or you have some understanding of even the verses that I've already referenced this morning. You get the idea. You know exactly who God is. You know how he's revealed himself to us in his word. You're a longtime student, many of you, of God's word. You've heard hundreds, if not thousands, of sermons over the course of your life. So why then, in knowing who God is, again, preaching to myself, Why do we have such a difficult time going to God to find refuge? 
Why in the world do we run to metal tents in the middle of life's storms? How does David do it? As we look in the text, we see that he gives us two particular ways. The first is found, found in verse 2. Look there in the text with me. He says this, simple, I say to the Lord. Now, if you're having a difficult time believing who God is who he says he is, I'm going to give it to you really simply. Say who he is. Say who he is. Speak who he is. Pray who God is. David begins his prayer in declaring who God is and who David is in light of that very God. You are my Lord, says David. I have no good apart from you. Deuteronomy 4 verse 7 says, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? So here's a challenge to us as the family of God. Make it a practice in your home to speak the truth about God to God. Do you hear that? Make it a practice in your home to speak the truth about God to God. Whether you are single or you are married with 15 children in your home, speak truth about God to God. It helps in taking refuge in the Lord. Now, we've been attempting this in our home, albeit very imperfectly and most haphazardly. But we're verbalizing our need for the Father to the Father in prayer. And if, someone, if so, if someone is in need in, in my house, here's what we try to do. Let's pray. Can we pray about this? Can we take this very need to our Father, knowing that he can and can right now take care of this need? And then you know what happens? My kids start to hear that that's the way that mom and dad relate to God in our home, and they begin to mimic that in their own little ways. This week, I got the, most sweet, the sweetest text from my wife, and it was, it was nothing that she had said, you know, lovey things about me. I didn't need that. Here's, here's what was beautiful to me. She said, on the way to Piper's well-check visit this past week, she got nervous. And out of nowhere, Piper said, Mom, can we pray? I'm scared. I said, man, you can text me that any day, all day long, because I know that in a small way, my children, because of God's grace, nothing in of ourselves, are able to see what mom and dad are doing, and then they're able to mimic that in their own lives, so that if and when God would save them by his grace and mercy, they might have a mechanism in which to rely on the living creator God for themselves as well. And so if you're looking for refuge, if you're having a difficult time believing God is who he says he is, David gives it to us simply. Say who he is. Tell him who he is. 1 Peter 5, says, 5 7 says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The second way David takes refuge in God is found in verses 3 and 4. And, and really here what's going on is that David is selecting his company. Look there in the text with me. Verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. 
Verse 4, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. You see, there were those in the land and congregation of Israel who had indeed apprehended. They had taken a hold of the promises that God had given for themselves. And they really believed him. They took him for who he was, who David calls the saints in that land. And then there were others taking some of the the privileges of the covenant community while also worshiping false gods. David says, I'm going to stay with the saints on this one. I'm going I'm to go with those who actually believe God at his word, those that have taken hold of God's promises. Now, this is not to say, hear me, that we as Christians aren't supposed to spend time with people who do not know Jesus Christ. That's, that's not what David is saying by any means. He's not saying that we are not to go to those that are far from God and say, be reconciled unto God, as the apostle Paul tells us. No, that's, that's not what he's saying. But what he is emphasizing is that we are to make it a priority to spend time with the people that have taken a hold of the promises of God. That is to be a priority in the life of a believer. David says, you find refuge in the Lord by speaking who he is and by staying close to those who are his. And I think in our age, it's really important to pull out an application, a modern application for us, that it's not just the people who are in front of us physically that we need to be careful about, but who we are relating to with our time electronically. And moms and dads, also be paying attention to what your your children are paying attention to and giving their time to electronically. Who is it that you spend your most time with conversing on Facebooks? What is it that you are reading in the forums and by whom are you reading? Are they godly? I know that there are a bunch of you in this church that play video games. How are the conversations that I really don't know anything about, but apparently you wear headphones and you talk while you're playing video games now? What are those conversations looking like? Are they edifying? Are you spending time with the saints of God? Because the saints of God are the only ones that are going to be able to help you in your refuge seeking. That's really important what David is communicating here. David finds refuge in God by speaking to God about who he is and selecting his company. Are you, child of God, finding your refuge in him? He's opened up access by his son so that we could have it, that we could find it, that we could not only have it tomorrow, but that we can have it today in this very moment. The second characteristic of God that David points out is that God is our portion. Verse 5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. He says, you hold my lot, God. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, I'll just be honest with you. When I think about portions, I think about getting less than I want. If somebody says the word portion to me, I think I am going to end up getting less than. Anyone with me? But here's the deal. That all depends on your size of portion. Because here's what David is communicating. He's saying, if God, creator God, who's sovereign over all things, is your very portion, if he's your portion, then you have more than enough, don't you? 
It all depends on your size portion. There's no portion control with God. Can I get an amen? There is no portion control with the living God. Let us not fall into the lie of our first parents that God is withholding some part of our portion from us. No, he's given us everything we need. He's given us himself. And that, my family, is more than enough. When, Jew, when the Jewish people heard these verses, they were immediately taken back to Joshua chapter 14, where God's people were actually given lots of land, pieces of property in the promised land. They are to remember then in hearing this psalm that God has provided for them more than enough. He's provided for them perfect, perfectly in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then also... I think that there also is this picture that there is a group of Israel that did not receive a lot of land. Who were they? The Levites. The Levites did not, who were the priests of the people of Israel, they did not receive a portion of their land. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 9 says that Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brothers. Why? Because the Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. Now, I know when we hear language like that, when we in Christian community say, it's okay, brother, the Lord is your portion, we're like, thank you. I appreciate that. I asked for some lunch money. So I don't understand why you're telling me that the Lord is my portion. How in the world does that help me in this very moment. Yes, I know that the Lord is my inheritance. Yes, yes, the Lord is my portion. Thank you. Yes and amen. As though it is some spiritual exercise in a game of monotony. Just tell it to me. As though good Christians just rehearse the truths of God, but they never are able to receive them for ourselves. Family, you are missing out on joy that could absolutely be yours if you are only intellectually succumbing to these great truths. If you're just using them as a coping mechanism to speak to someone instead of getting involved with their life, if you're just trying to soothe yourself with God's word and never applying it, we know elsewhere in the New Testament in James, it says, if you are hearers of the word only and not doers, you are just fooling yourselves. There's more for your life. That's why the psalmist cries in that familiar Psalm 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and he is my portion forever. Verse 6 is more of a recognition of who God is than it is towards our station in life. It's not for us to say, well, of course a king would say that. David, you have everything you possibly want. Of course you're going to say that your lots are beautiful and that your inheritance is amazing. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a beautiful inheritance. But look at my life, David. Things aren't going the way I thought they would go. Things haven't ended up the way that I thought that you had promised, Lord. 
Anybody, anybody feel that? Because that is what David is speaking to. A people, a, an individual before God who has a life that is much different than they expected it to be. Because real life right here and now is painful. And it is filled with hardship. And it is filled with broken promises from your friends and family members. That's real life. That's where I am right now. It's filled with sickness. Sickness that I never thought was going to come upon my family. Filled with hardships that I never expected to come. And then I have to say, Lord, you are my portion It is for us in this moment to look at God and say, God, it's not the way I thought it would be. It's not the way I planned. But God, you really have given me all that I absolutely need. Who or what is your portion? Like, what is it that if you had more of it, you believed you would be satisfied? That is where you will find your God. That is where you will find your idol. The Apostle Paul, by God's grace, seemed to have had this figured out when he makes his infamous admission in Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He said that when he had come to grips with contentment, that I I can have plenty and I can have nothing. But in Christ, I have everything I need. God is our portion. And the third characteristic of the joy-giving God David wants us to see is that God is our guide. Verse 7, look there in the text with me. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Psalm 32 verse 8 goes on to say of God, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. God has given us incredible means in this life. He has given us godly friends and family members. He has given us intelligent members in the body of Christ who have written fantastic books and novels. We have sources out the wazoo at our fingertips on how to grow in the knowledge of God, don't we? But do not miss this. God's primary means for counsel and guidance in your life is found in his word. In fact, that is all you need. God's word is our sufficient guide. 2 Timothy 3.16, a familiar verse for many of us, tells us that God himself breathed out his word. And it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God has given us his word as our guide. And in Christ, we are blessed with the indwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit who illuminates God's word as we read it, that we might understand him. The Holy Spirit has given, us, has given himself to us that we might know God's direction, and he uses his word to direct us in this life. God is our refuge. God is our portion, and God is our guide. David Dutton wants us to miss that. That is what life can look like for you today in our joy-giving God. For the last three verses of this psalm, David directs his focus elsewhere to the life to come, in the joy-giving God. And then the life to come, there are three benefits that he points out. First, there is, in verse 9, a fullness of joy. David says there in the text, Therefore, 
My heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, knowing all about our life now in God, in keeping with the character of God that, have, that we've just studied. David says, therefore, pay attention to that. He's bringing that to a culmination here. Every part of David's being is participating in what one author called a joyous security. Because of who God is, that God is my portion, that God is my strength, that God is our refuge, that he's our guide, therefore we have a tremendous joy. Our entire being can feel it. The kind of joy that we read about in 1 John, the joy that has existed within the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all time. And that's the joy that God has been inviting us into. Remember, it's not that David's life was easy and therefore joyful. No, he's writing this psalm in a really difficult period or moment in his life. Perhaps he was nearing the end of his life or he thought that his life was about to be over. He was in pain. He was looking for preservation and refuge and knowing who God is gave him tremendous strength so much that he experienced joy in every single part of his being. Not only is there fullness of joy, but David speaks of a hope of resurrection, he writes in verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, it's important for us to, to know what was going on in the ancient Near Eastern culture at this time. Because when the psalmist writes about this death in Sheol, it was understood much differently than you or I might have come to grips with it. He's writing talking about the very opposite of living, the opposite of life. For them, it's kind of a grim situation to think about. It's that your existence is no more. So think about that. In life, there can be, we know, the psalmist is telling us this fullness of joy because there is a realization of who God is. There is a recognition of God's presence, but not so much in the afterlife. That's what the original Jews would have understood this as. But David here, though, says, something is going to be different from me, though. I'm sure of it. You aren't going to let me go out of your presence, oh God. He doesn't have any more language than this, though. But what a God-given recognition. And he continued until the end with this idea. Not only is that there is some hope of resurrection, but finally that there is the presence of God. The presence of God. David concludes this psalm with verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David knows if this is who my God is in this life, there's certainly more to come in the next. Can we just agree with that as the family of God this morning? If this is who God is in this life, there is certainly more to come of him. In the next, one commentator wrote, when God's providence keeps the faithful in the path of life, they receive far more than a continued existence. They receive the joys and pleasures of the presence of God. And so this morning, if we leave with anything, I want you to remember that in the presence of God, there is joy today and forevermore. What a beautiful place to live. 
What a wonderful place to live. For those of us in Christ, we know it. We don't always experience the joy that God has afforded us. We often quench the work of the Holy Spirit that he's doing in and through us. We often run to other sources of refuge and protection for provision and guidance, but we know it. We have it. He wants us to have more of it. For, for others of you, though, those that don't know Christ, your life may indeed have moments of relief. Moments where you feel like things are going to be okay. But there is no real refuge. The house is still far off. God is still to be sought. And it is in God alone that you will find your refuge.